how do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very, very special guest with me today. I have Steve Pockross. He's the CEO of Verblio and brings more than 25 years of startup, Fortune 500, and nonprofit experience. They've actually grown 600% in the last five years and are over the eight-figure mark with a marketplace plus SaaS unique marketplace model. Steve, welcome, man. Happy to have you on. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah, dude. I'm pumped. I'm really excited because I I love the concept of your business model. And by the way, Verblio has been crushing it. They've been an Inc. 5000 winner um, two times, and they're doing a lot of other great stuff. So, um, but before we get too deep into how you got here and what you did, Steve, I think it'd be awesome if we did a quick revenue rundown. So where are you at in ARR? Uh, we're at a million dollars a month in MRR, so 12 million in AR. Awesome. Okay. What's your go-to-market strategy? Our go-to-market strategy, preliminary, the, the whole company was really based on, we are a content company. And so we actually breathe, live and breathe that. We, it is really organic growth or organic traffic from SEO. So we've been, we've been focused on high quality content frequently for very many years and has really helped us with domain authority. We bring in about a thousand unique clients every year through that. And we've recently expanded to really building out our lead generation outbound team and uh, actually focusing on finding new customers versus waiting for them to find us. That seems like a natural progression if you got the inbound <laughs> function or PLG growth once you get to the eight-figure mark from my other guests. So um, how big is your team? My team is about 45 people right now okay. uh, and a thousand writers that are all freelancers. Oh, wow. A thousand writers. That's a lot of firepower there. Okay. Um, and then are you bootstrapped or funded? We are 100% bootstrapped. We are we are growing our own and investing every dollar back into the business. That's awesome. How, how long did it take you guys to get there, by the way? So the company really started, got off the ground about 2011. So about 10 years, 11 years to get there. And I've been running it for about half. Okay. Fantastic. And then um, last but not least, I, I know you mentioned it a little bit, but can you just give a little bit of a deeper understanding about your solution, who it serves, and then the outcomes it creates. Yeah, so we create um, written content for the web. We also have, uh, we acquired a video company, so we enhance it with different enhancements, but it's really focused on core um, content creation. We produce 120,000 pieces of unique content per year in 40 different verticals. The 40th vertical is other, and that's about 52% of the content. <laughs> which I love that fact. It basically says a couple of things. One is uh, if we segment our writers into their levels of expertise and who they can write for, we can go deep on different verticals, but also means we can really write for the long tail as well. Our core our core clients, about two thirds of them are digital marketing agencies. So who understand the challenge directly, have a really big challenge of creating that amount of good content, doing it at scale in multiple areas, but also managing it, those interactions even if you have somebody working with you on it, content creation is a really, there's a lot of effort to get somebody to understand who you are and what you want to write about. Um, so about two thirds digital marketing agencies and one third brands that are doing their own digital marketing, uh, looking to, to mostly focused on acquiring customers through SEO, but some are publishers and uh, 
there's a large variety of content out there. Everyone's really experimenting with how do you create a competitive advantage by using content at scale in different ways, which is, I think, a new, I think that's the next level of where SEO and content is going from, I know I need to do this. What's the minimum I need to do to produce per month versus what could I do and what results could I see from that? That's a great paradigm shift. So you're thinking it's going more from, (laughs) I love that because I hear people say that all the time. All the founders that say, what's the minimum amount I need to do to pass that gate to being, and would you say it's trying to shift to that omnipresence model or um, in terms of focus or, or like walk me through that a little bit deeper? So first of all, one of the reasons I love working with digital marketing agencies is I don't have to answer that question. They do it for the client. <laughs> they're basically, they're the ones that are running all these mad scientist experiments on what works. How do you uh, experiment? Because it's really hard to run a head-to-head test in content. Is it the same level of content? Is it longer? Is it more in-depth? Did you get the right keywords? Did you enhance it with enough video so it actually comes to life? So how do you actually run that test? And then did you distribute it afterwards? Because if you don't distribute it, nothing happens. Um, and so I don't, I've really stopped doing the answer of, um, what's the minimum I need to survive. Cause if you're looking at that point, I'm really not that interesting of a partner for you. We really work with digital market or digital marketers that are looking to expand their marketing versus, uh, kind of, uh, the vitamin of how do I make sure that this just keeps happening? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so, so I dodged your question. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, man. It's all right. Um, like, okay, I have so many questions for you about content because I, I know how ultra valuable it is and it's shifting, in my opinion, from just like the quantity play, like do as much as you can to there's people are getting fire hose with content. So now it's, it's I, in my opinion, it's shifting to the quality aspect way heavier. Would you agree with that? Uh, I think it was shifting to both is still... It is even more, it's even more quality, sorry, quantity and even more quality. So it just gets harder every year. I had a guest on my show who's a content marketing leader last week. Uh, I I have a marketing podcast and he said something I thought was really interesting, which is the content marketing as a channel has developed more and changed more in 10 years than any other marketing channel in history. And so I don't know if that's true, but I want to quote it anyway. And um, like a good, like a good digital (laughs) marketer. Um, and I think the the gist of it is that every year it's going to get harder. If a marketing channel works, more and more people are going to flood to it. More people are going to invest in it, just like Facebook and Google back in the day. So the key is to get ahead of it and to keep focusing on being better before everyone else surpasses you. Mm, that's great. And then what do you think about experimenting with new channels? Like, do you have a philosophy on that with all the like we had the big audio wave last year pop up with clubhouse and the green room and then everybody else followed suit you know what's your thoughts about testing new platforms so you get that virality advantage kind of like you know the prime movers on tiktok and 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 things like that so i think i think two things one is you have to keep focused on the core so we do this agency survey every year of hundreds of digital marketing agencies. What is your best practices in content marketing? What's the number one channel you see? Blogs. Every single year, no matter everything that else changes, blogs work. Um, really? So the amount of consistency of like the, the things that are just the core basics, I think is really important. And then the rest is, I believe, in a marketing channels, we never know. If we knew as marketers... What was going to be the next hot channel that was successful? 
then we would all go to the exact same place and there'd be no competition or there'd be too much competition. So we need to play some bets every year. You need to think of it as investment portfolio in my mind. Try out TikTok, try out audio. You know, Clubhouse didn't go so well. Everyone thought it was going to be the next big thing, but a lot of the other ones did. Like LinkedIn continues to pay off as a channel. So my philosophy is you got to place a few bets, just don't place too many. You you can only place as many bets as you can actually do well, or else you haven't proven what your test actually meant anyway. Yeah, that's I think that's that's sharp advice because otherwise you spread yourself too thin, right? Um, so, and I mean, do you think those results were skewed because you're dealing with a bunch of writers and blogs would be number one, or is that like I guess like what's what's the science? What's the numbers behind that? Uh, so I wasn't. I wasn't talking to writers. That was an interview of digital marketing agencies that are oh, using. Oh, okay. So agencies as a whole. Okay. Yeah, that are that are driving results for how much traffic they can bring to their site and turn into sales. Um, so yeah, a good. They're a good audience to uh, to get the information of the best of what they're using. We have a pretty unique table. So we have over a thousand clients per month. They're all content marketers, and we get to see the best practices of what all of them are doing and the trends that they're following. And while we do a lot of it in our own content marketing in kind of a meta way, content marketing to content marketers. It's really an unbelievable courtside seat to see what the what the best are doing. Oh yeah, you can have so much data from that. Okay. I could geek out on this. So so let's we'll come back to some of this stuff because I, I just find it absolutely fascinating. And um, I think what you're doing is amazing, such a huge market for it. I didn't realize blogs were still were still that heavy. So I'm, I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning. This is awesome. I think this is true with every, every channel, right? Like outbound sales, it still works. I didn't realize like you still had to hire lots of BDRs in order to make outbound sales work. The core stuff is just stick there. And I think it really, I think content has finally made it to the place where it's just part of the marketing portfolio. You have to do it. And so the first thing that happens when something becomes part of the natural way to do things is it becomes overlooked and looks at the old world and that can't possibly be that interesting anymore. Yeah. All right. So, so speaking of old world, let's, let's go through your journey, man. Like it's not old world. That made you just call me like old. <laughs> Makes it sound like you, I'm saying you're a hundred. I didn't mean it like that. I mean like back in time, right? So, <laughs> so, so nothing better than, than subconsciously insulting <laughs> your, your guests, even when you don't mean to which seems the unlooking guy if you're listening. If you're, if you're watching the video, you'll see. Um, but so, so so walk me through that. Like, what was your journey to get to this point? Um, it's really hard to grow a company past the eight-figure mark, uh, especially being bootstrapped. So massive props to you for doing that. Um, what? So what was the journey prior? How did you get here? You know, like, I'd just love, love for you to walk us through that. Cool. The personal journey or the company journey? Both, man. Mix them together. Okay. We got, we got, you know, I know some stuff happened before you got there because you didn't found it, but you've been, you've been steering the ship. I'd love to hear what happened before you, that they kind of prepared you for being the CEO of a massively fast growing company. Cool. Happy to do so. Um, tell me if the story gets a little too rambly. Um, the, so I'm, I'm in Denver, Colorado. I, uh, I was actually raised here and then I spent about 20 years out and about, about, uh, did school on the East Coast, did business school in Chicago, spent two years in South America and studying at the University of Chile in Santiago and then working for the Brazilian Development Bank in Rio. And then about uh, 12 years in San Francisco. The first part of that was focused on innovative nonprofits that were trying to find 
basically new ways to create employment opportunities and affordable housing for uh, for economically disadvantaged people. And mm-hmm. then I found my way into startups, which really crossed those the holy grand of like, what could you do if you have a mission that you're super excited about, but at the same time had resources? And uh, having resources was much better than being in nonprofits uh, as far as being, uh, I had a foundational experience. I joined a company called LiveOps in 2004, which was a marketplace plus SaaS call center company run by, started by a bunch of the early Netscape guys. We had two of the first 10 Netscape people and the chief operating officer of eBay came on board to be our CEO. It was really, it was quite the Silicon Valley dream there for a while. Um, We grew from... Uh, less than eight, less than ten million dollars to one hundred fifty million dollars of revenue in four years, and I had the really fun job of being uh, head of business development and strategy. How do you create new business models that bring together a marketplace of skilled uh, freelancers working from their house with a technology platform and an innovative marketplace business model? And if you apply those three things together, you can start accomplishing things that nobody else can do with services. And innovating in services is not that a hot, hot in Silicon Valley, but wow, you put these things together and you can really accomplish some amazing things like how do you answer 4,000 skilled phone calls in an hour and then have that entire call center disappear because you can really bring that type of talent together with technology. And so um, I started new business, uh, new business models at LiveOps for about 10 years, moved to Denver, enjoyed the startup or the startup world of starting new business models and new products for a variety of startups. And then along the way, the two founders of Verblio, who are a journalist starting it from the point of view of how do I find great opportunities for freelancers and a technical CTO who was in charge of building the marketplace of the future got together. I actually talked to them right when they were starting in 2011, which was fun because they were talking to the old LiveOps crew. And they basically said, hey, we've taken this business as far as we can. It's about $2 million in revenue subscription. We're doing something good here. We need somebody who knows about these business models, who knows how to scale it, and who lives in Denver. And uh, I'm pretty sure we were, it felt like a match made in heaven, but I don't know if there was anybody else out there for either of us. So I've been really thrilled to take it over since there. It was about 12 people then. It's about 45, 50 people now. Um, and we were about $2 million then. We're about $12 million now. So it has been a really fun ride, both hopefully doing the right things along the way, but also catching a really nice wave of of, of, mark, of the growth of the content industry has been, how do I say, nice wins at our back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that two to 12 million, that was over a period of five years, six years or how long? Yeah, that was from 2016 to 2000. Well, till now. So five years. Okay. So about six years ish. Um, which I don't even know if 2020 counts as a year, right? So we might just, might, might, just <laughs> might just wipe that from the almanac. Okay, <laughs> so lots of things to dig into. Awesome journey, by the way, man. I mean, like, I, I'm curious of like the ten. So here's 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 my question for you, and this is probably going to be a writer downer, I imagine. But how did you guys grow from 10 to 150 million dollars in four years? Um. It's a big question. I think there's a there's a lot of key ones, and I think of like where do you focus it? You have to make a pretty big decision on. So people, when asked that question, most people go to people, processes, and product. Kind of like what are the, the right. three main areas of how do you grow? And I think there's key decisions to be made in each one of those. So the first most important decision was we are going to have the best product that we will sacrifice. And I know everybody says that, and it's kind of like a there's. 
The real question is, if you're going to build the best product, what are you going to sacrifice? So what are you not going to do? So what we decided not to do was invest in sales and marketing until our product was better and invest all of those resources, both into our tech platform and our operations team, till we built up a model where we could really afford it. Um, we had a different name at the time and we desperately needed a rebrand, but you can't really rebrand until you have a better product or else you're just right. going to rebound uh, a product that's not quite there. So on the product side, we, we, we decided where our allocation of resource on our people side, we made a really big decision to focus on getting young A talent into hire for traits over experience. And oh, this is love that. absolutely one of my keys to success that I would love to share with everybody. Not just define what traits you want in those people, because you're just not going to be afford to be able to afford somebody who's been there and done it before and who fits your culture when you're small and when you're smaller and bootstrapped and trying to grow. For us, that's curiosity, it's passion, and the feeling that whenever you have a conversation with somebody on my team, you leave it more energized than you did when you started. And if mm -hmm. I can hire for those three things, I can teach them whatever I need to do on the skill set side because they're going to figure out how to actually build the skills. Um, so my favorite example of this is my VP of operations, who was one of my very first hires. I think she'd been out of bit, she just graduated from film school or out of a film career and business school for the first time had never managed a single individual and now manages half the company at like the age of like young thirties. Cause you have to find these people. You have no wait, choices. Wait, 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 wait. Repeat that again. Repeat that again. That was, you just kind of rifled through that. I so, do that with a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Repeat that again. Go ahead. What was the, what was the, uh, All right. where did she come from and now running half the company? She had just been working in documentary film. She'd never worked for a startup before. She just went to uh, University of Colorado Business School, um, but we'd hired her as an intern, was a clear talent. Um, and so she'd never managed one other person. And we put her in, in charge of managing all the people of the company, or basically the main people business of the company operations. And she now runs, I think she manages half the people of our 45 person company at the age, like in, in her early 30s, which is. You have to win like that. This is like draft picks in any sort of sport. Like you have to pick these people because you need to make it a priority. And then I have some guidance on how to find these people too. Okay. Tell us, man. No, don't, don't leave the hook, the open loop. You got to tell us what the, uh, how do you find these people? Where do you find them? How do you find them? How do you find people that at the age of 30 are running half your company with no experience and, and, what you're doing or what the company's done before. Totally. So first is uh, first is your hiring criteria. What traits are you looking for versus what experience? Mm -hmm. Part of that is always prioritizing cultural fit over skill set every single step of the way. Because your magnet for talent as a bootstrapped company is making people want to be there with you. Like that is, mm -hmm. it's part of your, the flip side of that is brand. You want, you want your clients who want to work with you is your number one advantage that you can do as a bootstrap company. And it takes so much work that very few companies put through the effort. So the step, first step is to figure out what traits you're hiring for. And the second, I, I love this, uh, this technique is write a killer fun job description that makes me laugh at least four times before I'm at the end of it. Because it's your marketing materials and nobody thinks of it that way. This is your way to attract talent that you want somebody to read it and be like, I want dying to work for these guys. I'm willing <laughs> to do it even though they have no consistent funding, even though, you know, it's not a halo effect brand. It doesn't give me nearly the benefits, but man, I really want to talk to them. So 
Think of your job recs. Your marketing team should write them, not your HR, not your HR team. And if you're the CEO or an executive of your company, your job is as soon as you think the person might be a fit, your job is to evangelize them and to get them on board as much as it is to interview them. That's awesome. I mean, I've never, I've never heard it framed up that way. So th- that leads me to the next question is then like, besides writing a cool job description that makes you laugh four times. I love that. I've never heard that before. So I'm going to look at your job descriptions now and, and see what they say. So I get a little, little, little taste of it, but how do you create the culture then like where people are dying to work for you um, or just love the concept of, of working for your organization? So this is part of, there's this transition in, in startups where at the beginning you're more cult-like. You're trying to find more people that are all of the same vibe because you want to work together and be together. And so hiring for those people that are cultural fit is really important. Then that transitions as you get, as you scale and you have to find certain experience levels as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of it is just making sure that, um, that everybody fit vibes with the culture, that everyone's curious, everyone's making everyone else, and that there's a lot of humor in the company. And so I think particularly as a CEO or any executive in a company, it is so your job to stay involved. Like our Slack channel is absolutely hysterical. We have a puppy channel like that is about as active as anything's out there. There's pots and pans. <laughs> and so I think like the higher up, most people would think that if you're an executive, you shouldn't waste time like interacting with your team. I think there's very few things that are more important than interacting with your team. And so being on Slack, keep that sense of humor going. And that's where the investment of time goes. So uh, I read once that Steve Ballmer, former CEO of Microsoft, used to have a time allocation for his calendar of how he wanted to spend his time every year. He would tell his executive assistant, I want 20% of it to be external clients, 20% to be on the product team, 10% to be nonprofits. Like Whatever the allocation was, make this happen. Make my calendar reflect what my priorities are. And so I think this is a really important step. My number one priority is to spend more time with my internal team coaching them up. Because if I if my strategy with people is to hire younger, talented people, and then I leave them on their own, I'm not going to have a very successful company. Mm-hmm. So what do I have to do to not do that? I have to sacrifice time with sales. I have to sacrifice time with the board, with, inve- with potential investors, and be very conscious. And so we've... At my company, at Verblio, we have more one-on-ones than anywhere. I think it's critical to stay in aligned. I think we have more. Um, what we share as much transparently as we can every week in our in our all hands, and we do as po- much as possible to highlight absolutely everyone in the company at their time to make sure that everybody feels like they're a part of this mission together. So, I think that the strategy is stay on target. Keep reminding yourself: Are you focused on your team, and what was your priority? Because if you say you're a people-first strategy company and the majority of your time as a leader is not spent on the people, it's going to be hard to believe that you're actually bringing it to life. All right. So how, I guess the follow-up questions, as you can imagine, as I do. So how do you inject humor into your culture? What do you Give me an example of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's everywhere. In our, like, go to our website. It is deeply funny. Um, there's, a, there's a Yeti on our website. Uh, can you... Can you just go there and you can read anything from it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we, we can pull but, it up, man. I'll pull This is live time. So I'm pulling it up. I'm looking <laughs> at it and I'm going to see if there's anything that makes me laugh just to yeah. prove or disprove yep. Steve's point. But well, let, well, let me see what's going on here. So just go ahead. Keep talking, man. I'm All right. Pull look up, up. Uh, 
Okay, here's a good one. Go to um, go to Verblio and then go to cannabis. We uh, to our cannabis homepage. You have a cannabis homepage. There is a lot of cannabis content out there. Oh 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 oh. Uh, okay, I'm not seeing it, man. Where's it under? Is it under resources company compare? Um, oh, I'm, f- I'm failing my demo. Like every good demo, it always yeah. fails when it goes live. This kind of sucks right now. You're killing me, man. <laughs> really? The first I'm thing I do when I look up Verblio and cannabis is cannabis blog con- content writer. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So Verblio slash cannabis, is that what it is? No, just put in the two words into Google and it'll come up. Oh, okay, okay. My bad. I, I was on your site, actually. So All right, and so our more. opening line is cannabis content creation Dank content to boost SEO rankings and keep your cannabis business flowering. Don't call okay. it herbly. Don't call it herblio. <laughs> so every one of our every one of our homepages is like we're a content company. You want to we want you to want to read our stuff. All of our the tone of our email our outreach emails are meant to be super entertaining. Our job descriptions. And so if you hire people where this they find this humor like they're a part of it, everyone starts mm-hmm. to build it together. And then our magic seeker sauce is we have an incredible content writer or a copywriter who is basically the owner of the brand and comes and infuses the uh, the copy whenever humanly possible to uh, to just bring it to life. What else could we have thought of to make this more fun? Well, there's a yeah, there's a video of you in a dog suit on here as well. Oh, I you guess that. definitely watch that. <laughs> okay, this is awesome. All right, I love it. I, I found what you're talking about. I'm jiving with you. Um, totally makes sense. So. Um, okay, so switching gears a little bit here, because I could talk about this all day, um, but unfortunately, we have limited time. So what do you think? Okay, so outside of hiring talent, because you just went through there, what kind of revenue systems do you think are, were critical in you going from 2 to $12 million in six years? It's so there are different stages, different revenue in kind of uh, main big decisions were made. And so the first one was I took over the company that didn't really have a growth path and it was really focused on small businesses and the subscriptions weren't running. So a couple of the key decisions up front that I think are available to everyone are first pricing, looking at thinking of pricing as a strategy that review all the time. I think of the four P's pricing, it is unbelievable how limited knowledge there is about pricing and strategy and how to price yourself versus just looking at your competitor and being like, yeah, I should be about the same. Um, I got some of the best advice from one of my board members who really didn't, couldn't think of anything else. She's like, I have no books for you. I have nothing else. I have one rule that I followed, which is if in my exit reasons of clients leaving my company, 10% of them are not saying my price is too high. My price is too low. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. it. And so we needed a minute revenue boost and we were tr- had a really hard time figuring out what's our actual value. We were finding that our product, just like a, you know the, the classic Lexus, for Lexus pricing case study, where um, Lexus, Lexus came out, they were trying to compete with BMW and Mercedes. Toyota was all excited. They had a luxury product. And let's say um, Mercedes was priced at $50,000 for a sedan at the time. Lexus came in too low at $35,000. And so what happened is everyone thought that they were not as valuable as they should, like as a Mercedes, because look, why would it be 15,000 lower? So they raised their price to just within range at 44,000. And then they sold out of, out of, out of crazy, like, Mm. sorry, they, 
jumps the hyper joke. I can't speak. Can we please edit out everything I just did? Um, yeah. No so they uh, they really uh, jumped their their growth and started to compete at the highest level by raising prices for the exact same product. And so we found that our product was actually delivering more value. We needed to pay our writers more to keep making it better. And so one of the first decisions we made was to increase prices 10% and it helped fund a lot more of the business. The second piece as those early stages was professional services, which is even if you're a SaaS, even if you're a platform, and even if you want to focus on how SaaS-like you are, to focus on what the client actually wants. And so we were a self-service marketplace, and it turned out that most of our agencies wanted us, wanted someone on our team to manage the self-service platform for them. They manage plenty mm. of platforms. And so we introduced uh, professional services where we did more account management and editing before, and we added 15% of our, to our revenue in six months. And so those two things really helped fund all of our future growth initiatives, which is a side story. Let me stop there before I go into phase two. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. So keep going, man. Let's go into phase two. Cool. Phase one, have enough money to actually pay your bills and invest in stuff. Phase two, build a great product figure out how to actually find new clients. Then you get to really expand on brand, build out your content, go into new channels, start a podcast, and actually hire your first head of sales and marketing um, or your first head of sales. So you can actually start targeting leads of people who might want to find you. So it is awesome. Organic traffic's amazing. It's cheap. It's an annuity. You invest up front and all of a sudden it keeps going. You can't even define the concept of CAC because there is no marketing cost for it. But at some point, in order to build a predictable revenue stream and in order to grow faster, you have to have more knobs that you can pull. And so figuring out that lead gen was the right time to do it. You also can't do outbound until you have a product and a brand that you're proud of. So phase two is really focused on the brand and phase three was really starting to actually take that brand uh, to the people. Okay. I love the, the you know, kind of the, the roadmap, the four-step roadmap that you gave and um, I yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing too, like outbound is really interesting. And I know we, we chatted about this prior. I think a lot of times organizations walk right by the systemizing customer to prospect referrals because deals will close in half the amount of time. Um, and just kind of like what you're talking about, how there's so much content out there. Um, there's so many offers that people that are being made to people. It used to be 500 a day. Now it's 5,000 a day. Um, it's just insane of how many how many offers or how many times people are getting pitched. So basically, if you leverage the no like and trust factor with a relationship through a referral, that's what really helps um, what I've seen massively accelerate that outbound motion. But like I said, I think it sits, it's not an outbound motion. It sits in between outbound and inbound. So <clears throat> um, love, love, love that, though. So. All right. So we're just about up on time. But before we wrap things up, I want to do a quick um, kind of founder fire round, if you will. So who's your favorite founder or CEO that, that you follow or really, really enjoy? So one of my favorite people to follow is Sunit Bhatt. He is the, he was just uh, the president of Boulder, which is a socially responsible outsource company. Uh, he's been on my podcast a couple of times. He's just a wonderful thinker about how to be people first in a company and has some truly thoughtful stuff. Okay. That's, that's fantastic. What's your favorite book that you've read over the past couple of years? I, uh, I read a ton. So this is a really hard thing. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I have to give you two, my favorite two of in nonfiction. One is the righteous mind 
which is basically how rational people can be so ideologically charged based on the exact same facts. Uh, It's a true, truly fascinating look into psychology that I think helps you in every aspect of life, including business. Mm -hmm. Uh, The number one takeaway from that is, you might have heard this before, but it was really brought it to life, which is we think that our rationality is there to lead and then our emotions follow. And actually our primal instincts choose everything that we do and our brain and our rationality is only there to tell us that we were right. (laughs) And if you think of all humanity that way, it really changes the way you live. See, I've never even heard of that book. I'm going to have to check that out because I'm, I love like the psychological aspects and how people don't make any sense with what they do and they justify it rationally. So I think that's awesome. Um, and, this, and, the, and the second one is Alchemy by Rory Sutherland. You might have heard of that one, which is uh, he's the vice chair of Ogilvy in the UK. And he's basically brought all of the best practices and learnings from behavioral sciences over the last 40 years and applied them to advertising with the basic concept that humans do not respond based on rationality. They respect they respond based on emotional impulse. And so you as a marketer should not be appealing to rationality, but to emotional impulse. It's kind of like the other side of the righteous mind, which is now that you know the humans think like this, how do you market towards them in a way that they actually respond to? Because all emotional campaigns do better than telling somebody else how great your company is. And here's the five facts of why. All right. I got two books I'm ordering once, once we get off here. So uh, thanks for the advice there. Sure. Um, and then I guess like, you know, what, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Know what you know now. <laughs> so I worked in nonprofits back to the early phases of my career. I moved to San Francisco in 96, uh, to 2000 during the greatest accumulation of wealth in the history of humanity. And I worked in nonprofits and I qualified for affordable housing then. And so <laughs> While I love my nonprofit background, it is see what the trend is. That's where you can learn the most at any given time and do that. So I, uh, you could really learn so much if you had joined a startup for like two startups during that time would have been a, a lifetime of education. And so uh, I wish I'd followed that. That's so good. Once again, I'm, I'm, you're, you're, you're crushing it in this round here. Okay. Where do you see the future of tech going? So I see the future of tech going into services. Um, this is so. If you think about SaaS as a big picture, which I, it's it's still amazing to me that SaaS became the term for software. I just don't understand how that happened because it was such a terrible name. Yeah. But what SaaS did is it took the workflow of every industry and started big picture like Salesforce, solving all of sales, solving of all, of, um, and then making them as generic as possible. And the fact was they were convenient because they were in the cloud. And then company after company started being developed for every niche workflow in every possible industry. How do you do insurance claims? And what we now miss now, or what we've missed during that process is where do you find the human talent and the, and the people that are actually going to have the skills to power all these processes? We've now worked so hard to get humans out of our businesses. There's going to be a point where we have to have a fine pool of highly trained people. This is kind of like the Verblio model. That's why I believe in it. And then apply it with technology and workflow to develop the end service that people are looking for versus helping companies just manage their own workflows. Mm, that's so good, man. Yeah, I see that all the time. Like, it's, even with like sales or marketing tech, they'll make s- such a large investment and then they don't use it. They use like 10% of it. So that totally makes sense. And I think 
we're moving more to a results culture um, and expectations. So it makes sense that they're like, hey, not we just don't want the tech. We want you to do it. So then it guarantees the results. Is that kind of what you're thinking, like going towards that route? Yeah. And I'll just like, <laughs> yeah. So every company is trying to lower the amount of headcount that they have and increase the amount of SaaS products. There's just going to be a place where these companies are totally dysfunctional without pools of talent that they can rely on externally from their company that specialize in one area that can get the results done for them like content. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. This was, this was awesome. And I loved, loved our time together. So where can people find you? Where can they find more about Verblio? Um, and then we'll wrap things up, man. Uh, thanks. Verblio is www.verblio, V-E-R-B-L-I-O.com. Our, I hope our website is both informative and entertaining as I've described it. If not, you can send me complaints at uh, LinkedIn. Uh, my, <laughs> my handle is Spockross, S-P-O-C-K-R-O-S-S, uh, or Steve Pockross. If you look me up, I'm the only one. Um, and then my podcast is called Yes, Comma, and Marketing. And we take an innovative, we took a eclectic view of a liberal arts view of marketing and interview different hosts because inspiration for marketing can come from anywhere. So I would be welcome you to follow me in any of those places. Love that, man. Well, thanks for being on the show, Steve. It was a pleasure and um, look forward to everybody checking out the podcast. Thanks so much, Ryan. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.